0: Risk. It's an interesting thing. The moment the disciples let Saul into that room, they took substantial risk. He was the Christian killer. The moment Saul opened his mouth and began to talk about Jesus being the Messiah, he took risk because he knew, he'd be a part of the team. He knew that there were those who would come against him. Those who would come against him with significant force. Those who would come against him, even desirous to take his life. In fact, as we're just introduced to, to Saul, who later, his name is changed to Paul, we see two significant accounts. In, in Acts 9, starts in verse 23, it tells us, that when, when he comes to Christ, he, he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, goes to Damascus, and begins to talk about the reality of who Jesus is, that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. And the Jews there in the area, they attempt to kill him, and there is such a concern for his life that he is lowered down in a basket off of the wall of the city. He goes from Damascus to Jerusalem. And just a few verses later, we find that, that the disciples welcomed him in because of Barnabas's encouragement. And then as he begins to testify about who Jesus is, once again, the Grecian Jews there in Jerusalem, they plot to take Saul's life. So much so that the disciples encourage him. You see this in In Acts 9, 29, it says, Saul talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Risk. It's a reality of life. It is the calling of the Christian. Father, I thank you for your word today. I pray that you would use it to speak to us, to mold us, to make us, to challenge us, to change us. We ask God that you would do what only you can do in this moment. We commit these things to you. We thank you and we praise you. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen and amen. Here's what I want you to leave with this morning. I want you to leave with this understanding that God is, called you. He designed you to be a risk taker. It's part of the reality of life. You were created to be a risk taker. There's a fine line, understand this, there's a fine line between risk and reckless. Between risk and reckless. I'll give you a couple of examples. I love to fly. I'll get in any any plane and I will fly anywhere. I I love to fly. I know there's some risk in flying, but I love flying, so I have no problem getting in a plane. I will not jump out of any plane. There's a difference between risk and recklessness. Friday night, I ate gator. For some people, they would consider that risk. On Saturday, I was invited to hold a gator. I will not do that. That's recklessness to me. This morning, part of my commute from my home to here, I got on I-4. If you spend any time on I-4 in Orlando, high risk. I was passed by a guy doing easily 95 miles an hour. He had gone from risk to reckless. Do you know how fast, when you're driving, do you know how fast reckless is? It's anybody who's driving faster than you. Isn't that true? <laughs> Think about that. Anybody driving slower than you, it's like, come on. What, you've got to have someplace to be. And anybody driving faster than you, that guy's an idiot. He's driving himself to an early grave. Look at him go. There, there is a fine line between risk and reckless. Yesterday, we celebrated the 71st anniversary of D-Day. June 6, 1944, 156,000 soldiers dedicated to an offensive. It was a high-risk maneuver. But it was one that absolutely had to happen because it changed the complexion of our world. for each of those men some over 5000 who made the ultimate sacrifice over 10000 who were injured in that moment in that day it was a risk that carried a huge cost but it was a risk that had to take place 1517 a catholic monk goes to the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany and he he tacks a thesis on the door because he's coming against the improprieties of the church the church selling forgiveness church leadership using the kingdom of God for their own profit he's excommunicated he faces huge peril much of the church world today is a direct result of Martin Luther's action. He took huge risk. It had to be done. You're called to be a risk taker. Let me say this again. You're called to be a risk taker. In fact, you are designed to be a risk taker. Here's, here's what we know. In the creation process, it says this. It says that God created man in his own image. Right? And then breathe life into man. And then he spoke this over man. Be fruitful, multiply, increase in numbers, rule over the earth, and subdue it. So that one of the very first things that we learn about our identity through the creation process is that God created you to bring increase. God created you to produce. God created you to move forward. We also understand Ephesians 2 says this. In Ephesians 2.10 it says that we are his workmanship created in Christ's to do good works, which he has prepared in advance for us to do. So God has called us, he's designed us, he's called us, he's uniquely wired us to accomplish. And that accomplishment will always come with some degree of risk. But here's what the enemy does. The enemy gets us sideways on one of two extremes. Extreme number one is this. We allow ourselves to be captivated by fear, and so we take the path of safety. Buying into the idea that we are to live the protected life, not the purposeful life. Or what we do is, in operating in confusion and wanting to do things our way, this this internal wiring that we have to be a risk taker, that becomes confused. And instead of living a life with measured risk, we drift into recklessness. And the appetite that so much of mankind has for reckless behavior is actually the enemy twisting what God has placed within you, this innate understanding, this wired desire for measured risk, and the enemy flips it and gets us to operate in dangerous, unhealthy, ungodly behavior. But in the middle of playing it safe and living reckless is this destiny that God has for you. And the destiny that God has for you has some degree of risk to it. Every one of you, what God has called you to, he's called you to a life that has some degree of risk. See, the righteous shall live or the just shall live by faith. And faith is trusting in this great big God that calls us to do beyond what we're capable of doing. This is what Jesus is explaining when he gives us the parable of the talents. The parable of the talents. Jesus makes a statement in Matthew 25. He says this, and the kingdom of heaven is like. And the kingdom of heaven is like. Say that with me. And the kingdom of heaven is like. So what's Jesus talking about? The kingdom of heaven, see? Pretty good, huh? And the kingdom of heaven is like. So Jesus giving, is giving us this window, this insight, this understanding into what the kingdom of heaven is like. And he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner, a boss, who is going to go on a journey, and he entrusts to his servants resource. To one, he gives one talent. To one, he gives two talents. To one, he gives five talents, each according to their ability. In the kingdom, what has God called us to do? We know this from Genesis 1. He's called us to be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth, rule over it. Jesus gives us further explanation that God does not ask us to do something that is outside of our ability. So each is given according to his ability. But each is given incredible value. That each one given a talent, a talent is the equivalent of 6,000 denarii. A denarii is the equivalent of a day's wage. 6,000 denarii is the equivalent of just a little over 16 years of salary. It also sometimes referred to a talent, in, in, when, when it was referring to money, it sometimes it was also referred to as the weight of a person in gold or silver. And, and, and it, 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 it averaged out in those days at about 33 kilograms or about 75 pounds, a talent would be. On, on today's market, a talent would be worth about 1.2 million dollars. So when Jesus is telling this story, if he was telling it to us today, he would say this. This wealthy businessman takes his entrusted staff, and he says, listen, I'm going, to, I'm going to let you be for a while. I've got some other things that I need to deal with, but I'm entrusting you responsibility. I'm giving you $1.2 million. I'm giving you $2.5 million. I'm giving you $6 million. And I'm doing this because I know that this is what you can handle. I know this is what you can handle. I know this is what you can handle. And, and we see God giving us clear understanding of how we're supposed to live our life with measured risk by the story that Jesus tells us in Matthew 25 when he says the kingdom of heaven is like. And here's, here's what we find from, from, that, from that story. Number one is this. You were created to take risk. You were created to take risk. isn't Isn't that what it says there? It says, and the kingdom of heaven was like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. See, you were created in God's design of the kingdom of heaven. You were created to be risk takers. Every person that we read about in scripture was a risk taker. Noah, building this ginormous boat in the middle of a desert, that's a risk. David, standing before a massive giant, it's a risk. Gideon, going against this army as numerous as the sand on the seashore with 300 men, it's a risk. Peter. Stepping out of a boat and walking on water, it's a risk. Paul, Paul sharing who Christ is, out for him in Damascus. But then he does it again in Jerusalem. And he he doesn't stop. He, He writes this in 2 Corinthians 11, he says this. He says, Listen, I have been through it. And he gives. This this list of all of the things that he's faced in ministry. And he says, listen, I want you to know that this is this has been an interesting journey for me. He says, Five times I received from the Romans 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with the rods. One time I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Three times? After two times, I'm not getting back in the boat. One time I spent a night and day in the open sea. I've been in danger, he says this, I've been in danger from rivers, I've been in danger from bandits, I've been in danger from my own countrymen, I've been in danger from the Gentiles, I've been in danger in the city, I've been in danger in the country, I've been in danger from, from those who would speak ill against me. He says, I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have been hungry and thirsty, I have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked, and besides that, I have to deal with all of you people he's talking about the church. He says, listen, this is the life that I have lived. So here's what we find with Paul. Paul didn't stop at Damascus. Paul didn't stop at Jerusalem. He understood this, that if the kingdom of God was going to go forward, it would require some risk. And we should understand the same thing because Jesus makes that very clear when he gives us the parable of the talent. Not only were you created to take risk, but you will be defined by your willingness to take risk, or your unwillingness to take risk, living your life in fear and playing it safe. Here's what what Jesus in the parable, he uses these terms wicked and lazy, good and faithful the one that he entrusted the $1.2 million to, that person operating in fear decided instead of taking any risk that that he would play it safe. He didn't squander the money, but he hid it. And so when the master returned, he said, listen, knowing that you're a tough guy, knowing that you would hold me responsible for every penny of this $1.2 million, I want you to know that I protected it for you. I preserved it for you. And what is the master's response? You wicked and lazy servant. Why wouldn't you at least even put the money on account somewhere to where it could earn interest? Take the money away from him, give it to the others, and throw him out. You wicked and lazy. In the eyes of most people... The gentleman that was entrusted with the 1.2 million, he didn't do anything wrong. He didn't lose anything. But he also didn't do what was required of him, and you're required to take risk. Now, there's a reason why God wants you to take risk. He wants you to take risk because this principle of measured risk, it's God's mechanism to bring into your life reward. Let me say that again. It's very important that you grasp this today. This mechanism of risk, God calling you to take risk, God equipping you to take risk, God empowering you to take risk, that's God's plan to bring reward into your life. Notice in the parable of the talents, I want to go back again. What did Jesus say? The kingdom of heaven is like... Did the master take the increase from the servant that had the two talents that doubled it? Did the master take the increase and keep it to himself? No. He said, Take this, enjoy the benefits of what you did. The five talent servant, $6 million of responsibility. Did the master go, great, you double my money, $12 million, awesome, I'm put in my pocket, good, way, way to go, you did a good job, pat on the back. No, he said, look, this is yours. Not only is this yours, here's another million dollar bonus. Because that guy was horrible. He didn't get it. It wasn't the plan of the, of the master to benefit himself the risk that the master asked the servants to do was for their benefit. See, the, the one-talent the one guy, the master's not mad at him because it didn't benefit the master. He's mad at him because he didn't even take advantage of his own potential for his own benefit. Friend, God isn't asking you to do something because he wants something out of you. God's called you to take measured risk because he wants you to live a life of blessing. And far too many Christians live a sad excuse for a life because we're not willing to take the risk that God has called us to take. And that's true in so many areas of our life. The opportunity to help somebody else discover this destiny, the reality of who Jesus Christ is, there is nothing better that you will experience than being a part of helping somebody to connect with a living and loving God. It is the coolest thing. Beyond that, how God wants to bless you in relationship, how God wants to bless you materially, the kingdom of God works. But we get caught up in this playing safe or in confusion and rebellion, we drift into recklessness. Let me me say this just real quickly for a moment. As a church, we will never be reckless. But there will always be risk here. I understand my neighbors need Jesus. I understand that Orlando has to experience the touch of God. Florida is in desperate need of revival. Our nation needs to experience a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit. Our world is ripe to the harvest. We will not see any of that impacted if the body of Christ, if you don't take risk. And that's what we see the disciples doing in A.D. We see them taking risk, inviting Saul in. We see Saul taking risk and sharing who Jesus is in Damascus and then sharing who Jesus is again here in the, in, in the latter portions of Acts chapter 9, sharing who Jesus is to the Jews there in Jerusalem. He, he already knows what's coming. But the risk doesn't compare to the reward. The risk doesn't compare to the reward. The risk doesn't compare to the reward. So, so how, do we, how do we do this? If we're, if we're created to take risks, if we're defined by our risks, and if we're rewarded according to our risks, how then do we do it? Let me, let me encourage you to do this. Take your Bible and turn to Luke chapter five. In Luke chapter five, Jesus is, he's there on the edge of the seashore. And he's speaking and the crowd is pressing in and Jesus is talking and he just keeps backing up and backing up and backing up and he ends up being on Peter's boat. Now Peter has been out all night long fishing and it was not a good night. He caught nothing. And so at the end of a long night toiling with nothing to show for it, Peter and those who work alongside him, they're sitting there and they're mending their nets as Jesus is speaking. And at the end of Jesus' time of ministry, he says this to Peter. He said, let's put the boat out into deeper water and and I want you to let down the nets. Notice Peter's response there in Luke chapter five. He says, Lord, we have labored all night and we have caught nothing. But nevertheless, at your word. That's one of my favorite statements in the entire Bible. But nevertheless, at your word. I find myself often in in, in situations, in moments, where when I think about it with my own understanding, with my own wisdom, with my own intellect, it doesn't make sense. Okay? I can't get it to reconcile. In fact... I can think of all the reasons why I shouldn't move forward, why I shouldn't invest time in this, why I shouldn't invest resource in this, why I I shouldn't engage in, in this relational connect, why I shouldn't whatever. It just, it doesn't make sense to me. However, God makes it very clear that this is, what he would have me to do. And so I'm at a point where I have to either rely on my own understanding, my own wisdom, or I have to honestly acknowledge to God, God, this doesn't make sense to me. I appreciate that about the story with Peter. Peter doesn't go, okay, God, because I'm a great man of faith, I'm gonna let down the nets. No, he tells Jesus, I don't get it. And God is very comfortable in your conversation with Him when God directs you to move in a certain direction. God is very comfortable with you going, I don't get it. That, to honestly acknowledge the fact that it doesn't make sense to you, it doesn't reconcile to you, that's not lack of faith. Because the faith statement is Peter saying, We're fishermen, we know how to fish. We were out at night because that's when the fish were there. We're in here mending the nets because fish don't get in the nets at this time of day. I I know very little about fishing. I know what fish look like. I love to fish. I really do, I really enjoy fishing. I very rarely fish because I don't like touching the fish. You know? So if I can go fishing with you and you're willing to get the fish off of the hook once we catch it, I'm good with that. Whether it's whether it's catch and release, I don't care. Whether it's we're going to eat them and you take them and you know hit them with the little bat to so where they're not flopping in the boat, I, I, all that I'm 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 okay with all that because I'm okay with catch and release. I'm okay with eating fish. I just don't like to touch them, right? So because of that, because touching fish is a big part of fishing, I don't fish very often. So I can't speak to fishing. Peter knew fish. Peter was not afraid to touch fish. Peter was an expert in this. And the idea of going out into the deeper water and putting the nets down did not make sense. But nevertheless, at your word. I want that to sink in this morning. But nevertheless, at your word. But nevertheless, at your word. But nevertheless, at your word. See, God's called you to be a risk taker, but those risks should always be in agreement with the word of God. Both the word that he will speak to you in the moment through the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the word of God that he's given us that is our handbook for life. God will never speak to you in the moment because God's still in the business of speaking to his children. But God will never speak anything to you that's contrary to what's written in his holy word. And the reason we can be confident of this is because God never changes. And because God never changes, his directive never changes. Because the directive never changes, God will never say anything that's counter to the word of God that he's given us. So, the risks that I take in life, I can take those risks with confidence when they're in agreement with the word of God. Okay, so let me give you an example. Let me talk about money for just a moment, because that's what freaks people out in the church, right? All the church ever cares about is money, so let's go ahead and talk talk about it. We'll talk about one of those hot topics, okay? Okay. For so many of us, I I know in my household, the idea of the tithe doesn't make sense. It it doesn't work into the budget. But because I know that it says it in the word of God, and also because I know that God convicts me that this is something that I should do, it doesn't make sense, God, as I do the math, it doesn't make sense, but nevertheless at your word. So I'm going to do this. From time to time, when, when when needs and ministry opportunities are presented here at Gal- Calvary, God puts on Jody's in my heart to give in that offering. In fact, let me say this on a side note. I will never present an offering to you that I don't give in personally. Because I'm not going to ask the church to do something that I, as your pastor, am not willing to do. But oftentimes, it doesn't make sense in our family budget, but we do it anyway. Why? Because... God, you're entrusting us with this. You're telling me to do this. I sense in my spirit that you're compelling me to do this. And it lines up with what the word of God says about giving. But nevertheless, at your word. So the risk that I take, it will always be in agreement with the word of God. The second thing that we see here in this story, here's what, here's what Peter says. He says, but, but nevertheless, at your word, God, Nevertheless, at your word, Jesus, I'll lower the nets. And here's what I appreciate, is God will, God will call us to stretch. He'll never ask us to do something that is outside of, how, of what he has equipped us to do. Let me say that again. God will never call us to do something outside of what he's equipped us to do. I, I, I'll, give you, I'll give you an example. Here's what I know. I know this, I know that God will not tomorrow ask me to be the starting center of the Orlando Magic. (laughs) If I feel compelled to do that, to quit my job here and go try out for the Orlando Magic, here's what I can be confident in that that's not God drawing me to that, that's I've gone insane. Okay? So if you see me on a Sunday morning get up and announce to you, folks, I really feel like I need to be obedient to the Lord, I'm resigning my position as the lead pastor at Calvary because I want to go play for the Orlando Magic, somebody grab me, shake me, and go, what is wrong with you? Because the risks that God wants you to take will always be in agreement with his word and it will always, it will always do this, it will always fit your shape this way that God has created you your shape, spiritual gifts, heart ability, personality and experience, life experience. God will always position you in accordance with your shape. That's why he asks Peter, a fisherman, let down the nets. God consistently calls us to take risks that are in agreement with his word, that fit our shape and also that impact others. You'll find this, it is exceptionally rare that God will ask you to take a risk that is solely for your benefit. And I love in this story, in in, in Luke chapter five, I love this story that, that when Peter dropped the nets, there was so much fish that he had to call another boat over to help. Because the risk that God has called you to, it will always influence the people around you. And here is the reason why. Because he's called you to be salt of the earth, light of the world because he's called you to be a witness. And the risks that God has called you to will always be in keeping with the plan that he has for you, the preferred destiny that he's laid out for you. So we're to take risks that are in in agreement with the word of God. We're supposed to take risks that fit the way that he has shaped us, the way that he has molded us, the way that he has wired us. We're to take risks That impact, that influence, that that benefit others. And then we're supposed to take risks that honor God. When they when they caught all these fish in Luke chapter 5, the fishermen didn't say, oh, wow, we've learned something different about fishing hey, maybe we should fish at this time of day. No, what they did is they recognized that God was doing something supernatural in the moment. And they didn't say, hey, you know what? We're the smartest fishermen in the world because none of the other guys are out here fishing and we're out here fishing now. No, they recognized that God was blessing them for their willingness to walk in obedience to him and take a risk that they had been called to take. Some of us walked in here today and we live a very safe life. You don't smoke, you don't dance, you don't drink, you don't chew, you don't hang around with those that do. Okay, okay your your television stations on your on on your on your TV remote anything that's not christian has been blocked out if we went and checked the radio presets in your car they're all on christian radio stations or that one news talk you know that you'll play every once in a while but you flip it to a christian station real quickly if another christian gets in the car you're you're careful you you might go see a PG movie, but you're definitely not going to a PG thirteen and and, and and you think that people who have seen an R rated movie are already sentenced to eternal damnation. And so I mean you, you live the life very safe. Your children are either homeschooled or they're in Christian school. You're taking all the precautions. You you've got the cocoon. It's awesome. Don't at this moment, don't allow the enemy to twist my words. I'm not saying that Christian television is wrong. I'm not saying that Christian radio is wrong. I'm not telling you to go watch bad movies. Okay? And we have homeschooled our children. We've had our children in Christian school. We, we've done all of them. We've done homeschool, Christian school, hybrid homeschool, Christian school, and public school. I believe there's a place for all of them. But you're living this life. You're living this I want you to listen carefully to the term that I'm about to use, and I believe it's appropriate. It potentially will offend, but I believe it's appropriate. You're living this pseudo-Christian life because you're living the Christian life that the Christian culture has told you that you should live. The question that I have for you is, how do you reconcile that with what Jesus said in Matthew 25 about taking risk? Life is very safe for you. But God is calling you to step out from the cocoon and take some risks. Risks that are in agreement with his word, risks that are in keeping with the way that he has shaped you, risks that impact others, risks that honor God, but risks nonetheless. It's time for you to share with your coworker about Christ. It's time for you to be an influence in your neighborhood. It's time for you to start living out loud this love relationship that you have with God. It's time to take some risks. Some of you walked in here today and the enemy has not pulled you to the safe route. The enemy has brought confusion in your life to the point that that this appetite that you have, this this wiring that God has created within each one of us for risk, for you, it's recklessness. And you're engaged in things in your life that you know that you shouldn't be engaged in. You've got relationships that are unhealthy. You've got habits that are ungodly. You've got activity that's unwholesome. You've got influences that are negative. And you're living on the edge and maybe you're maybe you're, you're 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 straddling that line between living in the christian culture and living out in all this negative and this junk maybe you're not even straddling the fence maybe you've just jumped into the deep end of the of the pool of reckless behavior god didn't bring you here to condemn you today God didn't bring you here to beat you up. He brought you here today to give redefinition to your life, to to recalibrate your direction. And to help you understand, okay, this appetite that you have for adventure, it's not ungodly. It's just misdirected. And what he's doing is, is, God's, this morning, he's calling you, he's, He's wooing you. I love that term because that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit woos. He's wooing you to come home. Cultural Christian, it's time for you to take some steps and take. Some risks, rebellious Christian or skeptic that is here. It's time for you to recognize that that reckless behavior is a counterfeit. The enemy is brought into your life to keep you from recognizing the benefit of walking with God and the exciting and adventurous life that he's called you to. Both of you need to meet in the middle, and that's where Jesus is. And that's what he's called you to. He's called you to take risk. Let's stand together.